0: You'll get none of that first, second, and last verse here, and only if you're old school do you get that, you know, because, you know, Jesus loves me, I didn't know there were so many verses, you know, so, <laughs> when I went to church, you know, I was like, we seen the first, second, and the last, and I'm like, well, what's wrong with the third, man, I can nobody gives it any love, but I gave them all some love today, I was pretty good, I like that, guys, the band was awesome, um, I loved to watch Scott well on those drums, man, I, I got us... I can play a little bit of everything up here, but I can't play any drums, man. When I watch him, man, I'm I'm gonna be might be bugging my life in the future, man, like crazy. So um, guys I got a um got a little message today um called Divine Interruption. Okay? I mean y'all know last week that uh, I started a series on experiencing God. Um, and even though I was prepared, man, I mean, once I kind of know what I'm going to be preaching, man, I study, I dive into it. Um, I was ready to preach part two this week. Um, I, but yesterday, um, and I had yesterday, early morning, actually it was like three in the morning, um, uh, yesterday I had this, I had this dream and I don't, I don't dream a lot. I used to dream all the time. And, um, I kind of figured out one time when me and my wife, uh you know, we started watching 24. I don't know, any of y'all get into 24 back in the day? Um, man, all right. they're going to be like, man, oh great, our pastor's a 24 junkie, you know. All right, but Jack Bauer, man, he was awesome. And we, we started watching, but we were like, man, we hadn't seen the beginning of the series. So, And we got like the the DVD series, and we were watching like four at a time, like day after day. And I'm telling you guys, I had the craziest dreams. I mean, like I was some sort of CIA agent. Sometimes I was killing people. Sometimes I was rescuing people. And you know, Tonya was saying the same thing. I was like, man, this this is just crazy. And what I figured out from that is whatever you saturate your mind with is kind of is what you what you dream about. And I think I thought about that here. Um, because, you know, ever since I've been made, you know, interim pastor here, um, I, I bet I've tripled my study in the Word. And so, the, you know, now that I've been studying, you know, a lot more, it only makes sense, man, that I had I had a dream uh, about this. So, you know, it doesn't come by accident, you know, it's, it's, but but I had this dream. And, you know, and I remember in Joel, you know, your, your young men shall dream dreams, you know, old men shall dream visions. And I know I'm not an old man, you know, so i got to be one of the young people having this, you know, 38, 38 years old. Of course, when I teach sometimes, I feel like the old, old guy. But um, so I just, I had this dream, and, I, and at first I kind of thought it was just for me to write one of my WMDs, my Wednesday morning devotionals. And you guys have made the stats on that go up big time. Uh, you know, i got little bar graphs that show me. But, you know, and ever since he's put it on the website and stuff, it's kind of going crazy. appreciate y'all reading those and letting people know about those. Um, but, you know, so I kind of got up immediately, and I just, I just typed up my dream, you know, and I said, man, this is great. It's probably for my Wednesday morning devotional. I already had my sermon for here, so it couldn't be for here. So it was 3 in the morning, so I typed it up, went back to bed, and I couldn't go back to sleep. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, man... This is, this is for the church. This is, I, I got I to tell this to the church. And so, uh, you know, divine, you know, being from God, otherworldly, interruption, you know, writing my series. I believe I'm supposed to do this. I'm a, little bit, I'm a little bit scared to do this. I don't have it as organized. Um, you know, I kind of threw it together in the morning. Um, we went to watch Caroline play uh, ball at Upwards. Um, I went home and... Um, this is kind of lame, but I'm a bread baker. <laughs> so I made bread. That's about a two, three hour process. And then I took a nap, and then me and uh, Tanya went to Georgia, went to the Smoky Mountain Performing Arts Center, and saw the Martins, which was fantastic, man. And uh, interestingly enough, they sang the, the what I call the Methodist doxology: "Praise God from whom all blessings flow." And so when they played it here, I was like, Tanya, that's crazy, man. I'm like, we're becoming Methodists again, you know? So. Uh, and so it was like, that was, was kind of cool and kind of strange at the same time. And so I got up, I got up, and just kind of went over my notes that I had from yesterday and said, all right, Lord, you're going to have to help me out. Um, so next week, um, I am going to get back on experiencing God. I'm going to talk about Isaiah's experience. Last week, we talked about uh, Simon Peter's experience. And so next week, we're going to talk about Isaiah's. If you want to read ahead, uh, read Isaiah chapter 1 through 6, um, I've read it several times, and I get something different out of it every time, so I ain't no telling what I'll end up saying by Sunday. And also read Second uh, Chronicles 26, because when Isaiah says in the year that Uzziah died, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And Second uh, Chronicles 26 tells you about Uzziah. So uh, I'm going to incorporate that, too. So as it stands now, I've been divinely interrupt- uh, interrupted. Um, when I think about divine interruptions, I think about Paul uh, going on what he thinks is the right course with God. And then the following happens in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any way who, any there who belonged to the way, that's what they uh, used to call, you know, basically Christianity back then because Jesus said, I am the way. So if you were a follower of Jesus, then, you know, that's what they called it. We are followers of the way. And, of course, Jesus said, I am the way. So they were followers of Jesus. And so whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Paul, man, you got to get this. He believes he's honestly following God's orders. He believes that God wants him to destroy uh, these Christians, these cell groups, who's kind of like a little offshoot of Judaism. You know, they kind oh yeah, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, but they're like we don't believe that. We believe the Old Testament and the Moses and the prophets, They stand alone. So he goes on this journey to kill, and he believes he's following God. Now, as he nears Damascus on his journey. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. I love this because my picture is, uh, you know, we always kind of want to think of Jesus as like weak and humble. But I kind of picture this as like he sees Paul, this arrogant man going around destroying Christians and doing his thing. And then all of a sudden God, light, bam, knocks him off of his horse. And I love this it says, Saul, Saul. Why you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Now here's a big change. Who are you, Lord? I don't know really who you are, but this is so majestic and this is so different. I got to call you Lord. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now, I love this line, because I, I like the way I think he said it. Now, get up and go to the city, you arrogant man, thinking that you are following God by killing my people. Get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. He is changing his attitude so much in this one instant, you know? So, Jesus just, you know, bam, Listen. You listen to me. Who are you? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Now, you get up and you go, and I'm going to tell you what you must do. Now, the reason I relate that in a similar sense, you know, I was preaching at this church what I thought was right. I mean, experiencing God. I mean, come on, that's what we want, right? Uh, It's what I want. I believe it's what God wants for us. But the truth of the matter is, I think I was getting a little ahead of myself by jumping in on this experience in God. Now, He didn't have to smack me upside the head and knock me off the ground and show me a lie and say, I'll tell you what to preach. He just, he just gave me a dream. It was a subtle, divine interruption. And the more I think about it, I want to uh, I want to talk about this. So before, before I dive in, let's pray. Um, Lord, thank You so much, man, just for this church, just the love You've given me in my heart for this place and the people who treat me so well, Lord, and uh, I just love getting to know them, and I love getting to, to meet them. And Lord, as I'm about to preach, I mean, I put myself in their position, and some guy gets up there and says he has some dream, and he's about to tell us about it. I don't really know what I would think about that. But Lord, I just uh, I just ask, Lord, that your spirit begin to move and that, Lord, we'll just know that, that the fruits of this, when we see them develop and we see them come to fruition, Lord, that we'll, we'll just know, yes, that was a vision that was from God. And we need to act on this vision. It's, it's very important, Lord. And so I just ask that you open our hearts, open our minds, Lord. And when we leave here, Lord, we just say, surely the presence of the Lord was in that place. So Lord, that's all I can ask. Consume us, Lord. Surround us with your presence. Open our eyes, ears, hearts, and mind. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I wrote the dream down. I just wanted to make sure I didn't, um, I didn't miss anything. Okay? I was kind of telling Tanya the, the version of it yesterday while we were at Dillard House. So, uh, yes, I gained some weight last night. The place is crazy. Um, but anyway, a um, little plug for the Dillard House. Um, and so here's my, here's what I wrote for my WMD. Okay. Um, let's see, where am I going to start? I just driven a bus to a basketball game or some game. I really don't know if it was basketball. I have my CDL license that allows me to drive a bus. I haven't driven a bus since I've started working my new job at the academy. I don't know what the sport was, but when it came time to go home, I found myself riding the bus and wondering who was driving. I was talking to my friend named Andrew. We drove by a mountain. I immediately noticed that it looked exactly like the mountain in all the Paramount Pictures movies. You know, So when you see the little Paramount Pictures, the mountain was real. It looked just like that. When I told Andrew this, he looked. But it was like the mountain got so big... And so close that we could only see mountain. And we just stared until it engulfed us and it disappeared. Honestly, I thought that was just kind of weird. But I just, um, so I'll go back to this. I've got to skip that part. As soon as we passed the mountain, I wondered who was driving the bus. It was supposed to be me. Andrew called someone and told me that it was being taken care of, so don't worry about it. All of a sudden, the driver pulled into this narrow road. It was so narrow that it scraped the sides of the bus, but the bus did barely make it through. We immediately parked at some restaurant that was near a park where there was lots and lots of people. The driver got up out of his seat and said, I'll be right back. I have to go get my friend Adam. He's ready to meet the Lord. He went in. We, got all, we all got off the bus, and the driver came out with someone I didn't recognize for that matter, I didn't recognize the driver either. I was, supposed, I was supposed to be driving the bus. So Adam and the driver knelt in front of me and Andrew. They just looked at each other, shrugged our shoulders, and gave, our, gave each other a this is cool look, and put our hands on him and prayed while the driver led the guy to Jesus. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. Come in my heart and make me brand new. As he was praying, I felt, I felt everyone gathering around. I mean tons of people. I looked up and my wife was there. Her sister was there. My dad was there, and I looked out at just the masses. The guy who had been holding, who had prayed to receive the Lord, had been holding his hat over his heart. Leaped up, threw his hand in the air with his hat in it. He didn't say anything. He just, uh, my, he didn't say anything. But uh, but people just started clapping. I was weeping like crazy. My wife was all tore up. She just kept saying, "I wish I had my phone to record this." I said, "Me too." It just kept getting louder and louder. There were so many people. It was thunderous. And then I woke up. Now, you've got to admit, that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> so I had to tell you that, but the more I thought about this, I'm like, "All right, so you know, why did I receive this? You know, Lord, what' do I do with this?" And I want to start with the mountain that we saw. Um, the mountain is, is uh, Psalm 36.6. Check out this little verse. Your righteousness is like the highest mountain. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. I wasn't talking about this, but if you've got a pet you love, they're going to be good to go. Okay? Animals. All right. So, um, your righteousness, though is like the highest mountain. Now, it's interesting, guys, because I didn't think about anything about the, the paramount, the mountains being from the pictures in the Paramount movies, but I looked up the word paramount. Check this out. Of chief concern or importance, supreme in rank, power, or authority, one that has the highest rank or authority. And so this was just not any mountain. This is the mountain of the righteousness of God. How in the world can someone climb a mountain like that? You've got to be righteous. And the Bible is very clear. There is no one righteous. No, not even one. So we've got a mountain problem. We can't be righteous, righteous on our own. And so that's where... You know, Second Corinthians, I think five twenty four comes in. Um, he who had no sin was made to be sin for us, that I through him might become might become the righteousness of God. So the only way we're going to get this mountain taken care of is through Jesus Christ. We've all got a mountain problem. In my dream, it was. Paramount. It was of utmost importance, but it in quickly engulfed me. If the mountain is God's righteousness, how do I climb it? I climb it through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is where the starting point is. Now, the cool thing was, you know, we went. We, I don't know how the mountain disappeared, but it disappeared. And the only mountain disappearing in the Bible that I know about comes in Mark chapter 11... Verse 22, have faith in God. So mountains are going nowhere without faith in God. You must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Have faith in God. And this comes straight from Jesus. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that they will... That they say will, what they say will happen. It will be done for them. You know, so in my mind, I see that a couple of ways. For one, you know, Lord, I got this sin problem. You know, will you take my sin? Will you, I'm leaving my sin here at the foot of the cross. I'm asking you to wash me in your blood and make me pure and make me white as snow. If you have faith in God and you believe that He can do that, there's your righteousness. Right there. Not earned through going to church. Not earned through reading your Bible. Not earned through trying your best to keep the Ten Commandments. Not earned through trying to be a better person. But handed to you through the person of Jesus Christ through faith in God. And the other thing that I think about this, and my wife taught me this about this, is the mountain. You know, I don't know about you, but... You know, I've actually wanted to go out and look at, like, Tomasi Knob, you know, and be like, all right, God, move the mountain, you know? And I've wanted, you know, like in the winter where it take a lot of faith to go to my parents, you know, uh, lake house and get on the boat dock and like, all right, man, here we go, Lord. I'm going to do it, you know? I've never tried, though, you know? Uh, Because it's cold out there, you know. And in in the summer, that doesn't take any faith because you don't mind falling in, you know. So, you know, you got these mountain steps of faith. If I'm the only one, okay, I just embarrassed myself. Um, (laughs) Yes, you're the only one, my wife will tell me. Um, So, (laughs) but what she taught me about the mountains is it's no, it's not some literal mountain moving. She said, if you have a mountain in your life and it's a hardship or some trial you don't think you can get over, it's what you got to do is you got to have faith in God and you got to change your position. And what you do is you get yourself up there with Him and His righteousness and His resources and His ways. And you get so far away from that mountain up there with Him that the mountain looks like it's moved. It's not even that big of a deal. You know, when the hardest things come into my life, they were mountains, and they were so hard, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to overcome. But when I got up there with Him, it's like, man, everything's going to be all right. I mean, I'm with God no matter what happens. I love to read the disciples, you know, when they're like, you know, guys, if you don't stop talking about this, Jesus, we are going to kill you. And it's like they go, really? Really? You mean I could meet Jesus today? You would do that for me? Thank you. And it's like, that was supposed to be a mountain, man. You know, like, I would be like, oh, God, please help me not deny you, you know. And these guys are like, man, go for it. Man, cut my head off. I'll go see him now. This would be the greatest day of my life. You would do that for me? And, like, you just see, why is this not such a mountain for them it's because they're up there where He is. They're in His presence. They're looking down at this world saying, man, this ain't my home. This world has nothing for me. They're up there with Him. So the mountain disappears. The mountain of your sin can disappear at the foot of the cross. If you have faith in God and you ask Him to move this mountain of sin and you believe that it is gone, then you are a new creation. All things have just become new. The driver turned onto the narrow road. I didn't think about it. I just thought that was weird. Why in the world would this driver turn on this little road that the bus will not even fit and just mess the bus all up, you know? And immediately, I'm like, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road. That leads to destruction. And many people are going through it. But small is the gate. And narrow the road, there it is, that leads to life and only a few find it. How narrow is this road, guys? We live in a day where tolerance is like supposed to be the ultimate... virtue that a person has you know you got to be tolerant of everybody be respectful of everybody's faith but as christians and one of the reasons people hate us is like we are so narrow-minded and you don't get to say oh well no we're not because yes we are there is one way to heaven and it is through the person of jesus christ i am the way the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. But what about these other religions? No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, what if so-and-so is a really good person, but they don't believe? There's no one good, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that bus, which I kind of believe is Lifeline Community Church, must be on the Narrow road that leads to life. And check out John um, 10, 9. I am the gate. You know, Jesus says, you know, your journey better start at the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. I love the idea of finding pasture that you go in through the gate, which is Jesus Christ, and you find, I'll try to stand still. I don't know why that's doing that. Okay, well then that's probably it. Okay, divine interruptions. Is that better? Well, we'll see. We won't know until I, until I see. But I love the idea of you go through the gate, you're saved, and you find pasture. Guys, there's freedom in a pasture But there is also a fence. And I have no idea why I did as a young Christian, I guarantee you, a ton of the people in here are doing this. They were just not happy in the middle of the pasture where the shepherd can protect us. He's got the rod and his staff. If you get a little bit out of line, he can take his Staff and he can churn your head right back on the track where he wants you to go. He's got the rod where if an enemy gets too close to you, he can throw it. He's very skilled with these things to throw off any kind of animal, any kind of thing that wants to harm you. But it's like we want to be in the pasture. We want to be saved, but we want to be on the edge of the fence. We want to flirt right up here, right up to the line where the enemies are just right here, and you know maybe we can see the shepherd over there in the distance and we're like, "Oh, we're good. He's in he's in sight." But we may be just out of reach of his, you know, listen, get back over here because we don't want to be close to him. The closer you are to the shepherd in the pasture, the safer you are. But I spent so many years operating right here around the fence and Jesus was still in sight, and I wondered why I got hurt, and I wondered why I got attacked so many times. And You know, why, God, why would you allow this? Well, duh, why don't you get over here in the center where I am? Why do you have to be on the side of the fence all the time, you know, flirting with sin and flirting with this? You know, the question is not, you know, is it right, or is it legal, or is it okay? The question is, does it honor me, and is it, does it bring you closer to me, or does it push you further away from me? Start asking, these questions, Adam, because I am the gate. You must enter through me, and I will lead you into safe pastures where you can thrive if you will let me protect you, and you will not be on the fence all the time. The driver turned into a narrow road, and the driver went in and got someone who was ready and led them to the Lord. Matthew 9.37 Then he said to his disciples, disciples, people who have been disciplined by God and who discipline themselves to honor God, who have disciplined themselves to learn and study the Word, who have disciplined themselves to, to ask the question, does this honor God? If I do this action, will it bring me closer to Him or further away? When he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Guys, there's plenty of people around us in this community and around where you live, people you work with, neighbors, friends. The harvest is plentiful. They are waiting to be asked to fill all these seats and to sit under an experience where they can feel God and be drawn closer to Him. But here's our problem. The workers are few. We have a lot of people who will want to come in and just kind of sit on Sundays, and we have a lot of people who just kind of want to just oh, do the church thing or just kind of do maybe the country club thing, just kind of get a little social event together. But guys, this is going to take work, and I'm kind of glad it wasn't me driving the bus, but I kind of get the feeling we were on the bus. And I'm glad I didn't recognize the driver because I believe the driver is anybody filled with the Holy Spirit. Anybody that has been saved, anybody to take the narrow road and do what is right and bring people in to say, listen, that guy right there, he's lost. He needs him. I believe he's ready. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to invite him to church. I'm going to have some spiritual discussions with him. We are the people on this bus. Who do you kind of have in mind? Who do you have in mind that comes to mind right now when you say this person is lost i would love to see them saved i would love to see them living for the lord i would love to see i would just love to watch their spiritual growth i would love to see them become disciples and band i'm almost about to wrap this up y'all come on up if you want uh, which i say that and i'll make y'all sit up here for 10 minutes um, but uh, i'll get better at that you know i'm new okay i told you i didn't know what i was doing last week um, but guys, the driver man was just simply a worker, and I, you know, and, and and guys, listen. When I think about this church, y'all have the best volunteers of anybody I've ever seen. I mean, this set up and takedown should be such a long ordeal, but you got everybody that does their little parts. It's like they have specific jobs. They get their jobs done, and it's amazing to see you guys work. I tried to get around and thank you guys for what you do, because it's awesome. But then, but this kind of work I'm talking about is in your everyday life. It's taking the narrow road. It's getting off the fence and getting in the center of the pasture. And when people say, hey, man, how come you ain't over here on the fence with us? You used to kind of talk like this. You used to kind of listen to music that said these words. And why are you kind of jumping away from all that and say, listen, man, you know, I'm trying to honor the Lord, with my life. You know, it's time for me to quit playing games and it's time for me to start being serious about my relationship with God. Because hell is a real place and there's real people going there and I want to start pointing people in the right direction with my life. So, the cool thing is, guys, listen, look what happened in Luke 15. I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. And you know, that's the, the, I'm a good person, I, I try to do what's right, I give to the church every while, you don't need to repent. Guys, but there's no one righteous. No, not even one. And heaven rejoices over this stuff. And here's why I'm preaching this, guys. I believe that I was teaching us how to experience God. But I made an assumption that I shouldn't have made last week. And the assumption is that everybody has come through the gate in the proper manner. And guys, I don't know you. I don't know your story. But there's one question you need to be able to ask. it. You know, a lot of people like to say, Well, I was saved on June 12, 1991 and all that. The date, I don't, I don't really care that much about the date. What I kind of care about hearing is where and how. Where were you? Guys, I was at Stamp Creek Landing. A man named Steve James said, I'm going to show you how to receive the Lord. Do you want him? I said, Yes, I do. And he was the one that led me. And everything, I can look at my life now and everything changed because of that moment right there. Okay? And so, when was yours? Where were you when it happened? Even my little girl, my my wife took her to a One Girl Nation concert, Secret Keeper Girls, and they said, you know, get your little girl on your lap, tell her, ask her to tell you when she met the Lord. And man, my little girl, she brought home from Good News Club a little thing that had like a white heart and a black heart on it, the wages of sin is death, and she's like, which color is my heart, Daddy? And I just froze. I'm like... What I want to do is say, oh, you're mine, baby. It's white. It's perfect. You're perfect. You know, don't you worry about all this. But I thought about the Bible. The wages of sin is death. And there's no one righteous. No, not even one. Not even a five-year-old little girl. And so I said, baby, I said, your heart's black. And tears. Guys, I'm talking alligator tears. In her eyes. And she's like, what have I got to do? Just like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? And she didn't know any of that. I said, baby, what did Jesus do? He died on a cross, daddy. I said, you know why he did that? No, so you could be forgiven by asking. All you have to do is ask him, just pray. Do you want to do that now, baby? Yeah. Yeah. And so, the best I knew, Lord Jesus, will you come into my heart? Will you forgive me and make my heart white? She told her that. That was two years ago. She told my wife that story. She remembered where. It's unbelievable, guys. Where were you? So, guys, we got a couple things we got to take care of, okay? For one. If you thought of a person that, I mean, that came to your mind, it's vivid. You know who you need to be praying for. You know who you need to be investing in. You know who you need to go ahead and start inviting. And you know, okay? I want you to begin to make your way down here. I got some note cards and some pens. And I just want you to write their names on there. Leave them. Say a quick prayer for them here at church in this environment while the Spirit's moving. And leave your card here. I'm going to take these cards. I'm going to pray over them at our next leadership team. I guarantee you that the leaders of this church will be praying for these names. okay? And also, the other thing, maybe you're here. Maybe you've been in church. Maybe you really have just been kind of going to church your whole life. Maybe you've been like, Well, you know, I must be saved because, you know, all I've ever known is church. But maybe you don't know when your starting point was. When did you arrive at the gate who is Jesus Christ and walk through that gate and say, it all started here? Now, I'm going to take a little bit of time to do this. I'm sorry, guys. But uh, I got to read this, okay? Uh, This is from the Pilgrim's Progress. I read this a couple years ago. Um I tried reading it, but it's written in that like Middle English style, like the King James, and I didn't get half of it. But somebody updated it and did it in modern English, and I've loved it. Um But listen to what Christian saw. He saw two men come tumbling over the wall on the left side of the narrow way. So these guys are trying to get on the way over a wall. And they quickly approached him. The name of one was Formality. You know, so this is an allegory, you know, this is Real people representing, you know, figurative events, you know, those kind of things. So, formality. I'm going through the formalities of being the church person, coming to church, doing what a church person's supposed to do, okay? So the name of one was formality. The other, hypocrisy. I'm coming to church and saying I'm this, but when you go out and see me Monday through Saturday, I'm totally different. I don't live like what I say I live on Sunday. As they drew near to him, Christian entered into a conversation with him. Gentlemen, where did you come from and where are you going asked Christian? Formality and hypocrisy replied together, we were born in the land of boasting and we're going to Mount Zion for praise. Christian inquired further, why didn't you come in at the gate that stands at the beginning of the path? Don't you know it's written that the man who does not enter by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber? Formality and hypocrisy explained that to go to the gate for entrance was considered by all the citizens of their country as too far to go and that their usual way, therefore, was to find a shortcut and climb over the wall as they had done before. Christian then asked, but won't it be considered a trespass against the ruler of the city where we're going to violate his revealed will in such a manner? The two men told them that he didn't need to worry about that matter for they had established customs that they did. They added that if necessary, they could produce testimony that would witness to these customs for more than a thousand years. But, as Christian, we will practice stand trial by law? Then they told him that customs so old have been accepted for over a thousand years, they would doubtless be admitted as a legal thing by an impartial judge. And besides, if we get into the pathway, what does it matter which way we get in? If we're in, we're in. You're in the way, as we understand, but just coming in at the gate. And we're also in the way by coming over the wall. How is your condition better than ours? I walk by the rule of my master, answered Christian. You walk by the rude working of your imagination. The Lord of the way already considers you to be thieves, so I doubt you'll be found worthy at the end of the way. You came in by yourselves without His direction, and you'll go out by yourselves without His mercy. They had little to say to him about this, but only advised him to take care of himself. And then I saw each of them go on his way without much discussion between them, except that the men told Christian as far as laws and ordinances are concerned, they believed they were just as conscientious to keep him as he was. Therefore, we don't see how you differ from us except for the code on your back, they said. It was probably given to you by some of your friends and to hide the shame. And he goes into telling them about their condition. But, guys, what these guys did was they tried to come in some other way other than the gate. If you don't know where you were and you don't remember the experience, you know, while people are coming, I'm going to be down here. If you want to talk to me and you want to nail it down and say I want today to be my day of salvation, I want to know that I entered in through the gate and that I'm on the narrow way, then you can come see me. Okay. While the band plays, I'm going to be standing right here. Please come and write these names. Say a quick prayer for them and leave them here at the altar. Okay. Thank you, guys.